Our scripture reading is Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to read the whole chapter together, and then we'll focus our attention on the last two verses. Verses 30 and 31 will be taken for our text. Let us hear the word of God beginning Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. The voice said, Cry. And he said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass. And all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. O Zion, that bringest good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bringest good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid, say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm, and carry them in his bosom, and shall gently lead those that are with young. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and meted out the heaven with the span, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance? Who hath directed the spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor, hath taught him? With whom took he counsel, and who instructed him, and taught him in the path of judgment, and taught him knowledge, and showed to him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket, and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing, and Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beasts thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted to him less than nothing, and vanity. To whom? Then will ye liken God, or what likeness will ye compare unto him? The workman melteth a graven image, and the goldsmith spreadeth it over with gold, and casteth silver chains. He that is so impoverished, that he hath no oblation, chooseth a tree that will not rot. He seeketh unto him a cunning workman to prepare a graven image that shall not be moved. 
Have you not known? Have you not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have ye not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in, that bringeth the princes to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Yea, they shall not be planted. Yea, they shall not be sown. Yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth. And he shall also blow upon them, and they shall wither. And the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. To whom then will ye liken me, or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who hath created these things, that bringeth out their host by number? He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power. Not one faileth. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel? My way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Now the two verses that are our text. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. The Lord... Bless the reading, his word to our hearts. A marvelous chapter, Isaiah chapter 40 is. Undoubtedly, as we listened to it read and as we pondered its words, our hearts were lifted and encouraged simply by reading these marvelous words of God to us, his people. As one old writer put it, when you come to Isaiah 40, you step out of the dark clouds of judgment into the brilliant brilliant sunlight of the gospel and its comfort. And that is indeed the case. Though we didn't read the preceding chapters in the book of Isaiah, perhaps you know that the first part of the book of Isaiah brings a very necessary word of judgment upon the people of Judah, warning of the coming Babylonian captivity. And so chapters 1 through 39 are filled with many such strong words of judgment. And Judah needed to hear that. God's people need to hear that throughout the ages. But God does not leave his people comfortless. And Isaiah chapter 40 begins the second main portion of the book of Isaiah, which is sometimes called the book of comfort because that's its great theme. The theme that comes out in the opening words of the 40th chapter, comfort ye, comfort ye my people. And that sets the tone of the remainder of the book till you reach its beautiful end in chapter 66. Our text, verses 30 and 31 Uh, is the concluding verses of this stirring 
first chapter of Isaiah's book of comfort. And the great theme in Isaiah 40 is the comfort that God's people have in their God. Rock solid comfort because of who their God is and what their God does. This chapter proclaims the greatness, the glory, the majesty of God. It calls us, behold your God. And then sets before us in beautiful array the many attributes and characteristics of our God. And what that means for us. God is set before us as the ever faithful one, the almighty one, the eternal one, our redeemer, our certain hope. That was a message God's people, Judah, when Isaiah was ministering, was a message they needed to hear. They lived in dark days. Looking ahead to a coming Babylonian captivity, they needed this encouragement. They needed this word to strengthen them in their weakness, in their suffering, in the hardships. Of their earthly pilgrimage. And we need that word too. And our text comes to us tonight with a very specific word of instruction and encouragement. A word that sets before us the strength that we need. A word that reminds us of how little And lacking our own strength is. And then comforts us by pointing us to our God. Who is the inexhaustible source of true strength. As we've sung in the Psalter numbers in our service. He is our rock of strength. Who sustains. Who strengthens. His people. And our text brings before us a very striking teaching. Indeed, one that is counterintuitive for many points of view. The fact that when we wait upon the Lord, then we are strengthened and renewed in strength. And that's a marvelous connection of ideas that maybe seems backwards to us. Waiting is not something we like to do by nature. Most of us Maybe you would say, we hate having to wait. When we wait, we feel helpless. When we wait, it's not pleasant. But our text tells us, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. A very fundamental part of the Christian life is that we wait on the Lord. And as we wait on Him, we are strengthened for everything that He sends us in this earthly life. And it's that teaching that we want to explore tonight as we look at Isaiah 40 verses 30 and 31. 
call your attention to this text under the theme, Strengthened Through Waiting. First, we're going to look at our need as the text sets that before us. Then we'll look at the answer to our need. Our God, in all of his glory, in all of his sufficiency. And then we'll tie these things together looking at our renewal, the renewal of our strength as we wait upon this God. The text sets before us something that every believer feels, that we all feel, and at certain points in our lives, feel very sharply. Namely, our need for strength to go on in this life, this life which is often so very hard. We need strength, and we feel, and sometimes very sharply, that we do not have that strength of ourselves. And thus we need it to be renewed from outside of us. There's a couple of things for us to think about here. A couple of things that bring out our great need for strengthening. The first is the hardships and sufferings that we face in this life. We need strength to bear those and get through those. And then there's also this. The recognition of the limitedness and the insufficiency of our own strength to bear and get through those things. And those two ideas are what we're going to to look at now in the first point. First, life is hard. It's a common saying, but is it not a true saying? Life is hard. Our earthly way, our walk of life is attended by many hardships and sufferings that drain our strength away. This comes out in the very figure that the text uses to describe the totality of our earthly lives. The text describes our earthly life as a run. We find that in verse 31. Running is something that is exerting. It takes energy. Walking as well. We run. We walk. Down a path. Down a path. Back in Isaiah 40 verse 27. Our life is described as my way. The people of Judah had this cry. They cried out to the Lord. In verse 27, my way is hid from the Lord. Way refers to the entire course of our life in this world, all of its dimensions. We are walking, running down a pathway that's marked out for us. It begins at our birth. We move in a definite direction towards a specific and fixed destination. That's life. And our life and life's pathway is pictured by the broad scheme of Old Testament Covenant history. Think of Israel's history from Egypt through the wilderness, over Jordan, into Canaan. That's a blueprint of the life of the believer. And that blueprint shows us the many hardships that we face on that path out of Egypt. We're delivered. We are from the spiritual bondage of Egypt by the saving grace of God. And by the Red Sea of Jesus' blood, we are separated from that spiritual Egypt and consecrated unto God. We belong to Jesus. We're his people, his adopted children and heirs. And now life 
is a pathway home. Our Father is leading us home from the Egypt that He redeemed us from. Home to His house of many mansions where Elder Brother, our Redeemer, even now is present preparing a place for us. That's life in this world. It's a homeward journey. But that homeward journey is fraught with many hardships. Because like Israel... Our life's pathways through the wilderness. God didn't take Israel in the most direct, flat, straight, even road straight to Canaan, but brought them through the waste howling wilderness. That's this world. That's where we live our earthly lives. Our way is not smooth. It's a rugged, treacherous, winding path through the wilderness with perils on every side. Over Jordan. Having brought Israel through the wilderness, God brought Israel to the shores of the Jordan River, made that river's waters to part, and he brought them over. You remember that in Old Testament typology that pictures for us the, the death of the believer crossing over Jordan to enter into Canaan, heaven, life eternal. That's the destination of our earthly life. Through the wilderness till we come to Jordan. That last obstacle, that fearful obstacle. But an obstacle, an enemy that's been conquered by Christ and made our servant. So that death must do what the waters of the Jordan River did. Stand aside and let us through so that we enter into Canaan, the Father's house. The new Jerusalem eternal life. That's the Christian life. But now, as our text describes that life, it's describing especially our wilderness stage. That's where we are right now. We are brought out of Egypt, but we are not yet in Canaan. We're on our way. And on the way, life is hard. Life is hard. The living out of our life in this world, the going down life's pathway, is like running a race. It's strenuous. It's hard. Running takes a lot of strength and endurance, doesn't it? Body, in mind. And when we think about the Christian life as running, think of a marathon. It's unrelenting. A marathon not on a nice paved road or track. But a marathon through the mountains, down into the valleys, on a winding road where there are obstacles. Places, parts of the road are crumbling away. Where there is snares, where there are dangers. Running not just under the warm sun, but running through storms. Running through rain, snow, and ice. A marathon that's not just through the peaceful countryside, but a marathon that takes you through battlefields, through warfare. Because as the Christian runs the race set out for him, set out for her, the Christian is also fighting the good fight of faith. It's very difficult, very hard, very challenging run. That was the case for the people of Judah. That 
the prophet originally wrote to. Though Isaiah likely prophesied and brought these words to God's people in the days of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, you know, was a good king. Hezekiah's days were some of the last days of light for Judah. They were still hard days to live in. The sun of Judah's kingdom was starting to set, and the people were feeling the pressure of mighty enemies, Assyria, Sennacherib, Rabshakeh, who besieged them and blasphemed the name of God. And there was the prophecy of coming judgment, the Babylonian captivity. Darkness was gathering on the horizon. Things were tough. And all of that hardship drew out of the hearts and the lips, the cry that we have already read in verse 27. My way is hid from the Lord and my judgment is passed over from my God. The sense is the people, many of them felt that God was not being their God anymore. He doesn't see me anymore. He doesn't hear me anymore. He's left me on this path by myself. He seems no longer concerned with my suffering. He isn't helping. Will he help? Can he help? I'm oppressed. Is my judgment passed over? Is not God righteous? Why does wickedness so powerfully prevail? Real cries, real complaints, born out of the people's infirmity, and we can relate to that, can we not? As we're running that marathon, going through perhaps some of those very rugged patches of road, Feel alone. Where is God? We feel our own weakness, our lack of strength. This word is for us. Where do you feel your weakness? Where does this text touch your life? Where are you feeling the exhaustion, bodily, mentally, spiritually, of your Christian run? Maybe it's in the daily labor and toil. Eating your bread by the sweat of your face. Long days, one after another. To make enough to provide for your family. You have time for little else, and it's wearing you down. You can relate to what the psalmist says in Psalm 90 verse 10 when he speaks about how the strength of our days is spent in labor and sorrow till it is soon cut off. Feel heavy laden by the responsibilities of your vocation, whether it's in the workplace or whether it's in the home, wherever it may be. The run is tough. Perhaps you're dealing with Strained relationships that bring confusion, bring hardship. There's pressure. God's made us social creatures, covenantal creatures meant to live in friendship. But sin has gotten in the way of some relationships and fractured those. And navigating how to handle them now is very challenging and it drains you. It's labor, it's toil. How to deal with these problems, how to overcome them, how to address them properly. Perhaps you're feeling the pain of manifold afflictions so that you can relate to what the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 1 verse 6 where he speaks of how Christians often for a season 
are in heaviness through manifold temptations. And temptations there refers not just to the devil's temptations, but also to trials and afflictions. Manifold. And that's a vivid word. Manifold there means multicolored. Our afflictions are like Joseph's coat of many colors, and every son and daughter of God is given a many-colored coat of afflictions to wear and to bear in this life. Maybe you're grieving. Someone you love isn't here anymore. That ache gnaws, drains strength, even as it pulls tears from your eyes day by day. Maybe sickness, stubborn sickness is taking its toll on your body or on your mind, both. Maybe you have deep disappointment in your life. Things did not come together the way you hoped, the way you wanted. and It's hard to understand why. Perhaps you're wounded, hurting deep down inside. and It doesn't seem like people really understand. And maybe I haven't named your affliction yet. Because there's so many different afflictions God's people have, and you can't name them all in one sermon, but... You can fit it into this text. Know how you're weary and burdened. Maybe it's the combined pressure of many of these things. So that you're weary under the heavy load. And you cry out with, with Judah. Is my way hid from the Lord and my judgment passed over from my God? I need strength. Why all of these things piled up on me right now as I try to run the race Does God see? Does God hear? Does God care? He's my God. Will he be my God? And when we're thinking about these things, the hardships on life's pathway, we come to feel the insufficiency of our own strength, don't we? And we see our need all the more because our strength is so limited and insufficient for walking life's pathway, running the race set before us. Our strength can't get us through the wilderness over Jordan into Canaan. If our strength was all that we had recourse to, we would die in the wilderness, succumb to all the perils that we face there, succumb to the temptations, go lost from the pathway marked out for us. Limited, insufficient strength. That's what we feel. And the text sets that before us now. The text calls our attention to the limitedness and the insufficiency of our strength, especially in verse 30. In verse 30. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall utterly fall. Youth. Those in the blossoming stage of life. When you think of youth, you think of fresh strength. Youth are energetic. From a certain point of view, they seem tireless. Their strength quickly renews. They have vitality. Young men, the text says. Much the same as youth, but it's bringing out another dimension. Bringing out the dimension of strength. 
People in their physical and mental prime, healthy, strong, able, capable. And the text would have us think about those people who are most suitable for athletic competition, like running a marathon or military service, fighting in a battle. The young men who are strong, who are capable at their prime. Together, youth and young men represents human strength at its best, at its fullest, at its freshest. The strength of man that man is often tempted to take pride in and say, this is enough to go down life's pathway, to succeed, to be victorious, to overcome. And the text says, even the youths shall faint and be weary. Even the young men shall utterly fall. Shall. There's certainty here. The text isn't leaving the door open that there are certain super strong among the human race or among us that can make it on our own. Even the strongest and the best. Those in their prime shall faint and be weary and shall fall. Their strength, their vitality, our resolve, our grit, all of it is so very limited. We're creatures, creatures of the dust. Our strength is the strength of dust. It is so very little and so very limited. And our sinfulness that has ravaged our nature only depletes our strength all the more. Limited. Insufficient, therefore. Rapidly our physical, mental, spiritual strength runs out. In the face of, and in the midst of. All of those hardships and obstacles that we face along life's pathway in the wilderness. We're confronted by those things. And we quickly realize how insufficient our strength is. And if we thought our strength was sufficient because we were in our prime we quickly realize how deluded we were. When that storm comes, when that hardship strikes, that perplexing problem arises. We don't have it in us. We don't have the strength. We don't have the strength to run the race. To go through the wilderness, over Jordan, into Canaan. We need strengthening. Before we pass on to the wonderful center of our text and really of this chapter, where strength comes from, let's make a couple of applications. Do we think we're strong? Our culture puts a premium on strength, being strong, doing it yourself. It's good to have a, a good work ethic, but when we approach life, let us not boast in our strength. Youth, young people, think you're strong. Don't trust in your strength. Don't trust in the strength of youth. Don't take pride in it. Or delude yourself into thinking, I'm sufficient of myself to go through this wilderness over Jordan into Canaan. 
even youth and young men faint and fall. Our text dispels whatever illusions we might have of our own self-sufficiency and is going to point us to the only and all-sufficient God. The wisdom of Jesus Christ, expressed in the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 10 is this, When I am weak, then I am strong. And we understand what that means. When I understand my weakness, the limitedness of my strength and the insufficiency of my strength, when I know this, then I will be strong. Because then, I will turn to and rely upon the one who only is omnipotent, who doeth wondrous things. And that is our God. Our God. The answer to our need for strength and for strengthening and for renewal and strength day by day to get through the wilderness over Jordan into Canaan. The answer is our God. And that is the focus of the entire chapter of all of Isaiah 40 to set before us and to magnify our God. The end of verse 9. Behold your God. Behold Him. And what follows verse 9 is a beautiful setting forth of who God is. The splendor of His attributes. His attributes which are the perfections of His divine being. And those aren't just theological concepts. Those Reveal to us the character of God. Who he is in himself. And consequently who he is to us. And central to the Christian comfort. To the Christian hope. To our strength in this life. Is beholding who God is. And drawing Our strength from him who is the inexhaustible well of true strength. Behold your God. Let's for a moment cast our net into the waters of Isaiah 40. Pull that net back to us. And look Those many beautiful attributes that we gather in from the waters of Isaiah 40. We can start with verse 28, right before our text. Where the prophet gives the powerful and comforting answer to the people who are crying. Who are crying out to God, my way is hid from the Lord and my judgment is passed over from my God. This is the cry of an afflicted people and this is the answer of God through the prophet. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. The answer is to set before the weak, needy, crying out people, setting before them again 
your God. This is who He is. He's the everlasting God. Everlasting. Eternal. Without beginning. Without end. He's not limited like you and I are and like creatures are. He's unbound. Not limited by time. The passage of time has no effect on his divine life. His strength doesn't wane with the passing of the ages. He does not wither like the grass. We people, we mortal creatures, we men, even the youth, even the young men, we're like grass. We wither away. We're like the flower that fadeth and falleth down. But not so our God... Not so his word, his word of salvation, his precious promises to be the faithful God to his people. As verse 8 says, the word of our Lord, the word of our God shall stand forever. There's a contrast. Young men in their prime, they faint and fall, but the word of God stands forever. Then you let your mind think about words of God that are very precious to you. From the scriptures that touch upon your hardships, your sufferings, the rough patches in your Christian run right now, those words stand forever. They will not fail, they will not fall. Words of the everlasting God, the promises. Yea and amen in Jesus Christ. Christ the eternal word made flesh for you and your salvation. Behold the everlasting God. The prophet's just getting started. This everlasting God is also almighty. He goes on in verse 28. The Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. The idea being of all that exists. All of creation is his creation. And that means he is almighty. He has all power. Notice the direct contrast drawn between God and the strongest and best of the human race. In our text, youth, youth shall faint and be weary. And the young men shall utterly fall. But verse 28 says of the creator of the ends of the earth that he fainteth not, neither is weary. The possession of unlimited, inexhaustible, almighty power belongs to the very being of God so that his power is everlasting, unchangeable, and inexhaustible. He is the strong one whose strength cannot be diminished Never decreases. Never increases. And this God. Is our God. The hands. That govern and uphold. The ends of the earth. And the whole creation. Those strong hands. Which are strong in themselves. They don't borrow strength. Like Moses had to borrow the strength of Aaron and Hur. To hold up his hands. Nobody holds up God's hands. But God's hands uphold all things. Those hands are stretched out to you. 
Behold your God. His almighty hands are stretched out to you to lend you their strength. Now you think of the eternal word made flesh, who is also the almighty word of God by whom all things were made, Jesus Christ. The visible hands of God, with those nail prints upon those hands, showing the almighty power of God, employed for your salvation to take away your sins, to reconcile you to himself, and to bring you into the Father's house of many mansions. There you see strength that never fails. Strength of your God. Your God who is everlasting, who is almighty, who is sovereign. And Isaiah 40 brings that out as well, sovereign. We use that word so often in Reformed language. It's a beautiful word. Remember what it means. A sovereign is a king. A king rules. God rules. Sovereignty means that God rules and controls all things for the good of his people. That's his purpose. That God is sovereign means... He employs his almighty power to accomplish his will all the time and in all things. So that never once is he thwarted. Never once do his purposes fall to the ground. How great is our God who rules on high. Verse 15 says, Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as the small dust of the balance. For Judah, think of Assyria, Sennacherib, and Rabshakeh, and the mighty armies of that day, or looking ahead to Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. Drop in the bucket, a speck of dust in the balance. The mightiest kingdoms, the greatest strength, Of mankind is a particle of dust. It's not going to move a scale even the tiniest bit. Nothing before God. God who is sovereign, who is king over all, and thus is is worthy of all worship and adoration. And therefore verse 16 tells us that the vast forests of Lebanon's cedars are insufficient to be the firewood to burn upon the altars of God. And all of the beasts in those forests are insufficient for a burnt offering. He is the infinitely worthy God, the sovereign one deserving of our worship. Verse 22, this God, he sits on a throne, yes. It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers. That is our God. And if that is our God with us on the wilderness road, on our run, on our journey to Canaan, what can man, what can Satan, what can anything really do to us? God is everlasting. He has all power. He has all sovereignty. He's also all knowing and all wise. That's the force of the rhetorical questions in verses 12 through 14. All meant to drive home the point. Nobody taught God anything. Nobody gives God advice. 
Nobody needs to instruct God. God never makes mistakes. He never misjudges. He's never wrong in his thinking. He never has to reason through a problem and come to the best solution and hope that it's the right one. He knows everything. As verse 26 says, he knows all the names of the stars because he made them and he placed them where they are in the vast expanse of space which seems infinite to us but sits there in the hand of God. He calls all of those stars by name. There's no searching of his understanding. And now that attribute of God comes to us. It reminds us when we're, when we're feeling the cry of Judah, is my way hidden from the Lord? It's not. Does God see me? Does God hear me? Does God care? What's God doing? He sees. He hears. He cares. He hasn't left. He hasn't gone anywhere. His almighty hands are beneath you. His everlasting arms are embracing you. His overshadowing wings are round about you. If you can't see them, it doesn't mean they're not there. And when, like Israel, he leads us on a strange path that we don't make sense. We can't make sense of. Why that obstacle at this part of my life's pathway? Why all of this right now? We go back to this. Our God is so wise. There is no searching of his understanding. He knows what he's doing. He's accomplishing his good purpose. He's getting us through the wilderness. He's using all of these things that we meet in the wilderness to prepare us for crossing Jordan. And to prepare us for our place in Canaan. He's working good. He knows what he's doing. Even when he's incomprehensible. And when he's incomprehensible, then we're reminded. We're just creatures. And our small minds can't be wrapped around the infinite mind of God. Our loftiest thoughts and concepts are as limited and insufficient as our strength. Our almighty God is all wise. And now what ties this all together is the name of God that we find in verse 28. The everlasting God, the Lord, all capital letters. And children, you know what that name is when you see Lord in all capital letters in the King James Version of the Bible. That's the name Jehovah. And the name Jehovah is God's covenant name. It's his friend sovereign name. It's the name that brings before us and brings to us his his covenant love, his faithfulness. Faithfulness. God is faithful. And how that ties all of the rest of these attributes together. His everlastingness, his almighty power, his sovereignty, his all-knowing, all-wise, all of that. He's put in the service of being faithful to us, his people, whom he sets his love upon. So that... Our God is Jehovah to us in the wilderness. Unchangingly faithful, trustworthy, reliable, never leaves, never forsakes, never betrays. 
And that especially in Jesus Christ. Wherever you see the name Jehovah in the Bible, the name Jesus, Jehovah's salvation is there implied. And above all, that's how God is faithful and brings all of his attributes to bear for our good in the midst of the wilderness as he sent Jesus Christ. Jehovah's salvation. Our God in the flesh. In whom the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. In whom all the attributes of God come together to accomplish salvation. Beloved, behold your God. And beholding him now. Behold him as your source of strength. He is your God. And He is your God because you are His. He has created you for Himself. He has redeemed you with the blood of His only begotten Son to have you for Himself as His people, as His children. You are His. And He is yours. He is your source of strength. For life's pathway, for the wilderness, all the way over Jordan into Canaan. Our strength, as we've seen, limited, insufficient, exhaustible, but God's strength, limitless, all sufficient, inexhaustible. And now, verse 29 He giveth power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. In faithful covenant love, the God who is with us lends us his divine strength. That's the strength we live by. That's the strength we go forward with and go forward in and rely upon. That's the strength by which we face the obstacles, the rough patches, the snares on life's pathway. That's the strength by which we bear the sufferings and the hardships. Navigate the challenges of life. That's the strength. By which we can run the race. Strength. Drawn. From our God. So now let your mind think upon. Those hardships and those sufferings of your earthly way that. Perhaps you thought about earlier in the course of the sermon. The things you feel so sharply. My strength is insufficient for this. I cannot handle it. I cannot bear it. I cannot endure it of myself. The relentless pace of your labor and toil. The responsibilities in the workplace and the home. 
your manifold afflictions, struggles in relationships, problems, the combined pressure of so many things, your spiritual battle against sin. It's not a question of your strength and what you can do, what you can handle. But it's a question in a matter of God's strength. There's the great comfort. Comfort ye my people. Comfort ye my people. Weary. Fainting. God's strength. Is yours. Are any of your afflictions. Too heavy for God to shift. To bear. Is God's strength. Will it ever be insufficient to meet your need to help you carry that burden? That spiritual battle against sin that's ingrained in your life. Yes, you can't overcome it of your own strength, but you're not left to your own strength. Is there any sin that can't be moved, that can't be removed by the mighty strength of God and His grace? Yes, we're insufficient. But God, our God, who lends us his strength, he is all sufficient. A combined pressure of afflictions, sometimes it is too much for any human being to bear. But you never bear it alone. Your limited strength is never what you are left to rely on. Behold your God, faithful to you in Jesus Christ, the source of strength. In and through him, you are able to do what is beyond human capacity to do. What is beyond human strength. We can do all things through Christ that strengtheneth us. Through the Lord who only is omnipotent, who giveth power to the faint. And to them that have no might increaseth strength. When we wait upon our God, when we wait upon him, Our strength is renewed. And that's the climactic conclusion of the chapter. And the last beautiful truth that we ponder for a moment tonight. Waiting upon the Lord. The text tells us in verse 31. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and shall not be weary. They shall walk and not Faint. The idea there is as we wait upon God as the source of strength, day by day, moment by moment, our limited and insufficient strength will be renewed. We will be supplied from our God with that strength that we need to run, to walk, even to soar. 
What is it to wait upon the Lord? Waiting upon the Lord is a beautiful idea. You can read about it in many psalms, such as the psalms that we sang tonight. Psalm 27 and 62. Psalm 130. To put it simply, waiting on the Lord is an act of faith. It's trust and hope in action. When we wait upon the Lord, we behold our God and who he is to us. We behold him, the eternal, the almighty, the sovereign, the all-knowing, the all-wise, the ever-faithful one. And we surrender ourselves to him and to his will, which is only good. We confide in his good and faithful character, which is the rock upon which our souls rest. Such that we will bear patiently with whatever he sends us on life's pathway. There's hope here. There's hope here too, as we trust in the Lord. We have our expectation in Him that His Word doesn't fail, that His promises are true. Wait upon the Lord. When we wait upon Him, cast ourselves upon the one who cares for us, the Lord renews our strength. Think about it this way. When we stop straining and trying to do it ourselves. And instead surrender ourselves to the Lord. And cast ourselves upon him. That's when we will be renewed in strength. We can spend ourselves. Exert all of our meager strength. And we will faint. We will fall. But when we wait upon the Lord. Cast ourselves upon him. Trust in him. Renewed, we find the strength sufficient for our needs. By faith, we tap into the inexhaustible strength of our God. The word renew in the text is beautiful. It could be translated change or exchange. Read it that way. But they that wait upon the Lord shall exchange their strength. They that wait upon the Lord exchange their own meager, insufficient strength for the unlimited and all-sufficient strength of Jehovah God. What a great exchange. What a great exchange when we wait upon Him. When we rest in Him. When we are weak, we are strong. Strong in the Lord. And the fruit of this then, as the text ends, is that when we wait upon the Lord and have our strength renewed, they shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The text is not saying that life becomes a breeze after this, that life becomes a walk in the park after this. What the text is saying is God promises his people the strength that they need to get through the wilderness and all the hardships of the wilderness journey over Jordan into Canaan. You will run and not be weary. Walk 
not grow faint. Even soar like the eagle, that majestic bird which lifts up on its mighty wings and soars high towards the sun. That's the child of God who trusts in the Lord and rests in the strength of the Most High. He mounts up above his hardships, mounts up on eagle's wings over those depths of grief and hardship and soars to new heights of peace and joy. It doesn't mean he never cries. It doesn't mean he never feels pain. But that believer overcomes on those God-given wings of strength. Rises up and soars. You've been given eagle's wings, beloved. God gives you those wings. His wings. The wings of his strength. Behold your God. Wait upon him. He shall renew your strength. For today, for tomorrow, whatever lies ahead, you shall mount up with wings as an eagle. You shall run and not be weary inexhaustible, unconquerable through him that loved us. Amen. Faithful God, impress this word of comfort upon our hearts. We're so often weary. We're weak. We have no strength of ourselves. Help us to wait upon thee, to trust in thee, to guide us, to lead us, to strengthen us. And as we wait upon thee, renew our strength so that we may run the race set before us. That we may mount up with wings as eagles. Soar above our earthly trials and hardships in the heights of joy and peace that we have through Jesus Christ. Father, thou knowest the sufferings of thy people here gathered. Use this word to lift thy people up and make them soar. Till they reach the destination of life's pathway, heavenly Canaan. This all we ask for Jesus' sake. Amen.